This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Manager in the Journals Division. A recent issue of American Jewish History took a look at Jewish American material culture. The collection of essays looked at this topic in order to help understand changes in American Jewish life from a variety of perspectives. Guest editor Laura Liebman, professor of English and Humanities at Reed College, joined us to talk about the issue. Thank you for joining me today, Laura. Tell me, in your introduction, you use Jewish little people toys as an example of Jewish identity and material culture. We, we all remember little people. Um, how, did you, <laughs> how did you settle on those as the example for introducing people to this topic? Great question, Brian. Basically, I was looking to build off of what a lot of the authors had been talking about in their articles, which was namely that we have sort of go-to things we think of for material culture, and particularly in Jewish material culture, those tend to be synagogues and cemeteries. Mm -hmm. And as one of the authors rightfully points out, Jews don't actually live in either of those places (laughs) most of the time that they're alive, at least, right? Right. You know, like, so when they're dead, I guess we live in cemeteries. But, But when we're alive, we don't really spend most of our time there. So I was looking for an object that people would recognize as something that was part of their lived experience, but actually represented some of the major themes that were talked about in the rest of the issue, namely that we sometimes think material culture is pretty obvious or simple, such as little people, but that there really are some complex ways that people use even simple objects for creating identity. How did the issue come together? This, the, these, uh, these papers, was it a collection that you solicited, or was this stuff that just came through that you guys thought you needed to look at? In some sense, both, in that we went out and we solicited papers, but on a specific topic, that one of the things the board had been talking about with the journal was trying to make sure that we were covering a range of articles that reflected shifts in the field in terms of new methods. So you'll notice if you look back through recent issues of American Jewish history that there really are some very specific issues, some of which came out of sessions at different conferences, but other ones which are really where we said, hey, we haven't had a lot of people submitting articles to us on Jewish material culture, but we know that they're out there. Mm -hmm. Why are they not necessarily thinking this is their home journal and wanting to really make sure that we were covering the diversity of types of methods in the field? What did you learn in doing this then? As you put this together, you obviously have this idea in mind and you want to reach out to some people in some areas. What did you learn as someone studying this when you were putting the issues together going through? the papers? One of the things, I come to this as somebody who works mainly on the early American period, and I actually began my career as an early Americanist working on Native American materials, not on Jewish materials. Mm -hmm. And so you'll notice that most of the pieces that are in this issue don't actually cover early America. So it was interesting for me to hear more from scholars in the later time periods and to think about how those differed from the kinds of ways that we look at objects early on. So one of the things that ended up coming up much more in the later issues was the issue of Reform Judaism and how theological shifts that happened 
mainly in the 19th century, the second half of the 19th century and the early 20th century, changed objects in the United States. And for the time period that I work on, which is before the reform movement takes off in the United States, those really aren't issues. So it was really interesting for me to see objects that I'm used to studying, such as the gravestones, but to see a really different spin on them, particularly the mausoleums that Sophia was looking at, which are just so different from the kind of gravestone architecture that you see in early Jewish American cemeteries. So for me, it was it was interesting to start thinking about how people in different periods might study the same kinds of objects, but end up with really different kinds of issues that would arise out of Jewish identity. Right. How exciting is that then to yourself expand your knowledge and then further to the readers when you take a topic like this and put it under the microscope? For me, it's super exciting because we haven't really done that much of a cohesive history of Jewish American material culture, that there are these little pockets that people study. And so one of the things that came out of the collection was more thinking about those big changes over time. And for me, that's really shifting the field in a direction that we haven't really had the leisure maybe to think about before because there weren't enough people coming together at one particular moment. So there have been a few special issues before that have focused on Jewish materials, but not in the same sort of concentration for American Jewish history as this one. So that really was a new moment, both for people in the field. And I I hope that what will happen out of this is that some of the people who work in the later time periods who don't work on material culture will suddenly recognize the questions they've been asking coming up in alternate kinds of sources so that maybe people will start to integrate new sources into the kinds of questions that they're asking as opposed to just the same people using material resources all the time. Right, right. It sounds like a really good way to open a lot of doors. I think that already has happened that you see some of the people who used to be more social history starting to use new kinds of objects, but sometimes it's a matter of coming across different objects and thinking about them from a variety of different angles. And that's one place where the from the archive section from the journal is really important in my mind methodologically for people in the field that it's it's very brief, so I think it's easy for people to miss. But basically what happens is for most of the issues, there'll be an object or text from the archive, and they'll have a variety of different people from different fields looking at that object or that text and saying, here's how I, as somebody who works on literary history, would approach this. Here's how somebody who comes at this from an architectural preservation background would look at this. So it really does give that breadth of what's going on in the field without sort of forcing it to be everybody has to look at it one particular way. But I think it's a generous way of thinking about methods. You were able to use some just wonderful images and with this article, something you don't see in a lot of journals, so many images. How important was that flexibility to expand that visual look for this issue? I would say fairly crucial because what we when we solicited articles, I had talked to people from a range of different methods, but it really was the people who ended up focusing more on object-centered and object-directed analyses that ended up being interested in publishing in it. And I think there is this moment when you, you've written an article or given a presentation at a conference, you're thinking, huh, where can I find a home for 
by loving analysis of X, <laughs> Y, and Z. And again, I think we have our usual suspects that you look at the journals online that you like, and you're like, ha, that one never has any images. Next, you know, so, so I think there's a way in which we forget to ask questions. And basically, I said, when I proposed the idea of doing a special issue on material culture, I said, hey, we're going to need to have images. Is that going to be okay? And the, the response was, yes. Uh, how many are you thinking? It is black and white okay? And I was like, yes, of course, black and white. I, I understand that as a, as a sort of baseline, you know, problem. But they were very generous in terms of their response. And this was when Diane Ashton was in charge of the journal. And she was just great about making sure that that wouldn't be a, a limiting factor, that she wanted to make sure that we could include the kinds of images that would make the issue make sense as opposed to saying you can only have five images for each author or something like that. I think it was a really good example of how sometimes as academics we forget that we could ask, right? <laughs> so that we just go based on what we've seen before. And I think it, it helped that I had a prior relationship with the journal, both as somebody who's on the board, but also somebody who's published in the journal previously and had already had the sort of question that I had brought to Diane, which was, I'm happy to send you an article, but FYI, it's going to have some images in it because that's what I do, right? So, yeah. um, you know, even if I give you something that looks pretty texty to me, there's going to be some images in it. And again, she was very generous with it and wanted to figure out ways to make it work. And I, I think that is pretty symptomatic of this particular journal being really interested in pushing the boundaries of American Jewish history as opposed to being really set in, it has to be the way it's always been since the turn of the century. I have noticed that, and for a journal with such a long history, that's refreshing to see, that they are very open to having yeah. lots of new, having new ideas, because, like you say, you've got 100 years of history, you could just sit on that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think in some ways, the 100 years of history actually drives the desire to keep doing something new, right? Because there's right. a way in which they have an established reputation, and then also they don't want to do what people did a hundred years ago. So it does keep on pushing people to come up with being clear what they're doing, how it relates to the past, but also how it's moving the historiography in a new direction. Right. What do you hope people learn from this issue other than what we've already talked about? But <laughs> as, as far as the, the actual topic at hand, what do you hope people learned from reading these articles and, and seeing all the research that's happening? One of the things that I think is so important about the article is that People from a really wide range of backgrounds were approaching material culture related to Jews. So we didn't have everybody come from an art history background or everybody come from a social history background that there is somebody who does archaeology and she really writes as an archaeologist. There's somebody else who has a master's degree from Bard Graduate Center in Material Culture, but also is a divinity student. There's another person who works in architectural preservation. So really that diversity and plurality of voices, I want people to think about bringing what resources they have analytically to objects as opposed to feeling like there's only one way that I could ever read an object. And if I wanted to be part of this conversation, I have to do whatever anybody else is doing. I hope that they would get from it, the objects are there and I need to look at them more but that I should bring my own strengths to the table and think about what I contribute to that conversation. 
right. It's, it just sounds like a really exciting time. The new editorial team coming in, a great really yeah. dynamic issue like this. It sounds like things are really happening in the field right now. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes up in the next few issues. But I know there's a lot of exciting things that they've got planned, and they're definitely branching out and trying to think about new media as well. So one of the things that's not in the print version but online is that there's interview that I did with Carl Watson, who's the major historian of Jews of Barbados. And there was a recent renovation of the synagogue complex in Barbados. And there's just fabulous pictures and information about what they found in Barbados. And I would say that's really one of the lovely things that's happening in the journal is really trying to think about, huh, that kind of thing works much better online than maybe even in print or maybe would draw more people into the print issue by doing new kinds of media. So I do think it's a really exciting time for the journal, but also for the field more generally. Well, that's great. Thank you for taking some time and talking with us, Laura. I appreciate you uh, sharing. Sure. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals for more information.